Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. Romans chapter 1, and you know the drill, if you would stand up as for the reading of the word. Starting at verse 13. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I'm a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise, so as much as in me I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and to also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. You may be seated. Good news. Well, it was going to be good news. I didn't know it at the time. See, we had this van and it kept breaking down. It was a, a sore it was a pain in my side, let's put it that way. I had to fix it continually. Well, my wife get this call while I'm at work, and I'm thinking I'm excited because I'm going to get off early. And typically I didn't get off early. I usually got home just about at dinner time, but I was going to get home about 2.30, and I was excited. But then I get this call from my wife. The van's broken down. We're at the Ashland exit. I said, great. All right. I'll be there. So there they are. But it's not just her. She's got the Mallory's with her too. There's Connie and the three girls. And then my two boys. I'm thinking, and there it is, the hood up. Which is just a common thing. In fact, I was tempted at one time at just taking the hood off completely. That way I'd always have access to it. So there it was, sitting there. I had everybody around me. I'm thinking, what's going on? I'm trying to figure this out, and I've got all these people looking at me and talking to me at the same time. And they're giggling and stuff. And then somebody had the audacity to put a stupid beanie baby in the engine. I'm thinking, what's going on here? Everybody else is laughing and giggling. Even Kevin, who was my partner at that time, gets it, and he's laughing. And I'm sitting there going, what's the big deal? Hey, i got to fix the stupid van. And there, on the Beanie Baby, which I didn't even see, was one of those sticks that tell you whether you're pregnant or not. There it was, in the midst of all that turmoil, (laughs) and all the grease, and all the oil, and the serpentine belt that used to always fall off, was this little stick that said, I'm pregnant. Now, it took us a while for this little one to come, Sila. In fact, the years separating her and our other is six. So you'll understand why I thought the Beanie Baby was one of the kids. But it was good news. Finally, the last, the period was coming. Good news. What's your good news today? Do you have any? should. We all do. And we're going to look at it this morning. So let's back up. Let's look at verse 13. 
Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now. I might have some fruit among you also, as among the other Gentiles. What could have hindered him? Well, usually it's one of four things, and really it comes down to one. But it could have been Satan. Satan could have been hindering him. It could have been the circumstances. He was busy other places. Could have been just God's timing. Could have been whether it was God's will. Ah, did you hear that? Something going on in your life and you're asking God what His will is? Sometimes He just pushes the pause button and says the timing's just not right. Sometimes it's just not His will. Sometimes he's using circumstances or even the enemy to continue to help us to trust him that he, not only his sovereignty, but he knows what's best. Good word for all of us. Verse 14, I'm a debtor both to you, very wise and to unwise. The second bride? Now, Understand something. Greeks wasn't meant Greeks. But it was for all nationalities, Romans included, who had embraced the Greek language, education, and culture. They considered the elite, the wise, and the sophisticated. Now, anybody that wasn't a Greek was called a barbarian. Why a barbarian? You probably use the language too, the word too. Barbarian. Some of the uncouth, not cultured. But see, the Greeks, what they did was they called anybody that couldn't speak the Greek language barbarians because they said there sound like they were just saying bar, bar, bar. Gibberish. So it came down to just barbarian. Do you understand them? Nope. It's funny because what do we say when we don't understand something? It's Greek to me. But again, barbarians were, if you will, the uncouth. They were everybody else. But notice Paul also is the wise and the unwise. Everybody and anybody. But why was Paul a debtor? And to who? Paul had great zeal for God. He was always going a hundred miles an hour. But it was the wrong way. Like going on a trip with one of your buddies when you're single. They're driving. So you decide to fall asleep. So then you wake up and you look at him or her and say, Where are we? And they say, I don't know, but we're making good time. That's kind of the way Paul was here. Paul just always was going full board, a hundred miles an hour. But his zeal was really placed in the wrong thing because it was typically the law. Now, why was Paul always so zealous, especially at this time? Because he would be persecuting the church. He agreed with Stephen Stoney. What was his deal? Well, actually, Paul kind of gives us a hint in Romans. See, he says, I would have not known to covet was a sin. But taking the opportunity by the commandment, it produced all manner of evil desires within me. Could it be that Paul was full board because he was trying to get into the good graces of not only the leaders, but God? Does that sound familiar? 
That sound like you? Is that something you do? Trying to get into God's good graces by doing everything and anything just to please God. Well, you know the story, what happened to Paul. Paul was on that road to Damascus, wasn't he? And the great light that shined, and the Lord said to him, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth, and you are persecuting me. It's hard to kick against the goads. Remember what the goads are. It's basically like a two-by-four with 16-penny nails in it. And it would keep the, the ox or the animal keep going forward and not backwards. Keep going forward. See, Paul was being steered, if you will. No pun intended. To what? To follow the Lord. In fact, that's what the Lord would say. Go into Damascus and I'll tell you there what I want you to do. And Ananias came to him and said, You will go and preach and be a witness. To everyone. Now Paul had direction. Paul had a way to go and where to go. Sounds great, doesn't it? He was a debtor to the whole world to tell the good news. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 9.16, he says, For I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. It's of necessity. It's laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Why would Paul say that? Simply this. Before I didn't know how to serve him, before I couldn't get into his good graces, I had no understanding of this. All I understood was I was a sinner. And yet now that I understand the truth of the gospel message, it's liberated me. It's freed me. It's given me access to the God that I thought was so distant. And now i got to tell the world. It stirs in my heart, just like Jeremiah said, it burns within me. I can't withhold it. I have to tell this good news to anybody and everybody that will listen to me, that will hear me. In fact, look at verse 15. It says, so as much as in me I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. That word ready, it really means ready and willing. Or you just say eager. I'm eager to preach. I'm eager to go there. I'm eager to share this good news with you. Why? Because look, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And you're saying, well, he's Paul. Look at all the stuff that he did. Because this is the end of his third missionary trip. Oh, saw miracles. The lame walking, blind seeing, demons cast out. Of course, he wouldn't be ashamed. He saw the power with it. But wait, listen now. As John MacArthur says, Paul was imprisoned in Philippi, chased out of Thessalonica, smuggled out of Damascus and Berea, laughed at in Athens, considered a fool in Corinth, declared a blasphemer, a lawbreaker in Jerusalem. He was stoned and left for dead at Lystra. Some pagans of Paul's day branded Christianity as atheism because it only believed in only one God. 
and being cannibalistic because of its misunderstanding of the Lord's Supper. What could go wrong? Now think about this. That was the end of quote. Now Paul's eagerness to go to Rome, the empire, the capital, to a people who looked down with disgust at non-Romans, the poor, the conquered, the humble, the weak, especially they had no appreciation for the Jews and those who executed by, ex- by crucifixion, were considered the lowest form. So Paul is going to preach about a poor, humble Jew who was crucified, what's there to be ashamed about? What's there to be ashamed about? And that to boot, you're still saying, but it's Paul. He must have been an intimidating person, right? Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians, You say the letters that I write are weighty and powerful, but my bodily presence is weak and my speech is contemptible. Do you want to know why Paul said that? Tradition says, and many writings confirm it, but again, we don't know for sure. But the description of Paul is that he's short, he's under five foot tall, he's partly bald, he's bold-legged, His eyes are set close together and he's got a hook nose. And by this description, he had a squeaky voice, if you will. You know those voices that you're probably thinking, that's your voice. Voices that you hear and it's just like somebody taking their fingernails and taking a chalkboard and go, oh, younger people, that used to be at this board. It was green and they had this chalk and they used to ride on it like this. And then they would take this eraser and erase it and it would make all this dust. And if you were a bad boy, which sometimes I was, you had to go out there into the yard and bang the racers together like this and all this chalk would go flying well the younger ones didn't get it because they would stand with the wind blowing their face going like this going (laughs) but we older guys we understood you always do it away from the wind so it blows away from you okay that was more information than you really care to hear but that's what chalk is and what was i talking about i don't know but it was a good point paul He also said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And brethren, when I come to you, I did not come to you with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. All. Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God to salvation. See, Rome was known and into power. They loved it. A Roman was man full of power and the knowledge of the Greeks. They loved their power so much and you've heard of Pax Romana. It was a forced peace. It was Roman peace. And they forced it on everybody, but nobody really had peace. Do you know how we know this? Not only because there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, but also we know this because actually the suicide rate in Rome was extremely high. It's not changed, folks. People are still restless. 
and they still have no peace. No peace. No peace with themselves. No peace, no peace with society. No peace with each other. But see, the power of the gospel brings true peace. Peace with God. Peace that passes understanding. That brings forgiveness. It has power to change lies from within. It's the true power. See, we're talking about Paul and all these miracles, right? Well, this is what Jesus said. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also the greater works than these. He will do because I go to my Father. And just so you can understand what he's saying, it's just like Paul said. Paul said, just like I was saying, I preached not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know what we lack so many times? It's just the truth of this matter. Is that when you entered into this room, when you came here to worship God, God's presence was here. It's not about you trying to muster it up. It's not about your faith. It's a fact. God inhabits the praises of His people. Where two or three are gathered together in His name, He's here in the midst. God is here. Now, it's up to you and me to be in tune to that. And part of that is through worship. It's singing. It's praising God. It's getting out of myself. Because if I sit here and stare at myself, I'm going to be depressed. But when I put my mind on Christ and what He's done, and what He's doing in my life, then all of a sudden I have a grateful heart. It's easy to think about the things that we're depressed about. But it really takes a man with foresight or a woman to understand what has been given. Paul understood this. He was going the wrong way. And he found the right way. That's why he could go through all the dramatic things he went through. He found the answer to life. Salvation. Salvation, the word means saved. Peace. One is, it saves you from the penalty of sin. It was all placed on Christ at the cross. It saves you from the power of sin. Being born again with a new nature, we have been set free from the power of sin. Saved from the presence of sin. We have been declared righteous before God and have now the presence of His Spirit in us. And being conformed to the image of the Son. We have been saved with a promise. That God has given us eternal life, adopted into His family, and will live with Him forever. The struggles and the trials or the goop and the mud or the oil of the engine that constantly has to be fixed. And the man standing there griping and complaining to himself that here I go again fixing this stupid car. And yet in the midst of all this trial and turmoil was wonderful news. And it's focusing on the wonderful news that changes you, it changes me. Because now we're allowing God's Spirit to do His work in us. With joyful hearts, with thanksgiving. 
God has done a wonderful thing. Now, it's not based on you. It's not based on your good works. It's not based on going 100 miles an hour trying to appease God because it doesn't work that way. How does it work? Notice again, I'm a debtor. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for everyone. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. Faith. Now this is a wonderful passage here. So wonderful, it was actually quoted from Habakkuk 2.4. That's where it originally comes from. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Paul also quotes Galatians 3.11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. The Hebrews writer too picks it up and says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Why? Because it's not about you. It's trusting me. It's not how weak you are. It's how strong I am. It's not about your works. It's about my work. And I've done it. And here's the hard part for all of us. That work includes you being transformed. It's already finished in his eyes. It's done. Here's just where the oil and the grease and the gunk and the bruised fingers and the cut hands happen. But in the end, it's His work and it will be complete. It's good news. It's fabulous news. It's wonderful news. It's the best news. And regardless how we walked in here, it doesn't matter how bad you feel about yourself. It doesn't matter how bad things are going for you. This is the good news. It's done. It's complete. He loves you. Not by your performance. It's just how God is. He did it all. And for us, it's just to say, oh, thank you, Lord. Because I know I don't deserve it, but I accept it. Your grace. Your love. That's how you receive it. For by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works that anyone should boast. Or Paul says in Romans, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, Romans 3, 24. In Galatians 3, 22. But the Scripture has confined all under sin, but the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. In Philippians 3.9, And he be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God, by faith. It's his work. It's his gift. For us to receive, trust, to accept, to believe that He's able. How does this happen, really? Pretty simple. 
is to realize that we've all sinned and fallen short to the glory of God. Romans 3.23 In Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Acts 3.19 it says to repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And acknowledge I'm a sinner. It's understanding and acknowledging that Jesus Christ died for my sins. It's understanding and acknowledging that what I'm doing is wrong and turning away from it. And it's understanding and acknowledging that I delivered you first of all that which I received for our sins according to the scriptures and then he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. What do I do? Again, Paul will tell us later on that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness that the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Something really hurts my heart. I hear it constantly. I notice how the Christian church cannibalizes itself. The sad thing is, is that I have found is that we're always either too liberal or too harsh. Just recently, again, somebody was complaining about uh, how simple they present the gospel and it's just like I just gave it to you. Like, that's the end. That's not the end. Because, see, if it really does change and transform you, then it's going to change the way you live, the way you think, the way you spend your time, because you have a new Lord. It's not about a certain baptism. It's not about a certain way to pray. It's just the simple truth of understanding, acknowledging you're a sinner. It's about Jesus Christ dying for your sins. It's accepting that and believing and trusting He rose from the dead, that you are now born again, that He's transforming you, that you now have His Spirit in you, that He's working a new work. It's all about Him, trusting Him and everything that He's done. Now it's about me taking that truth and now walking, learning, growing. That's why we go through the Bible here. It's grow, learn. Hearing comes by faith. Or faith comes by hearing, excuse me. It's listening. It's reading. It's studying. It's learning what God has given you. All the precious promises are written in the Word. It's about praying. It's about in that relationship with this God who loves me. It's about His grace. It's about Him wanting me to walk with Him in a daily, daily, journey. And remember, we're walking home. We're walking home together as a church family. But see, it's not just about that. It's about sharing it with others. It's about telling them the good news. Jesus delivered a demon-possessed man. The man begged him, I want to go with you. Jesus didn't permit it. 
But he said something that he says to all of us. He says, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had compassion on you. It's about us sharing this good news. I know. You're not Paul. Neither am I. But Paul has the same thing that we have. And I should say the same person. See, the Lord, before He ascended, said this, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you shall be witnesses unto me. You have the Holy Spirit. He'll give you the words. He'll give you the power. But it's up to us to do. To share. About this good news. So many of us just hold it in and just, just it's mine and I, I'm, too, I'm not good enough to share. I'm not smart enough to share. Uh, people won't respect me. They can't respect this message. Well, they're not going to respect this message. They're not. Unless, unless they're ready to receive it. But you don't know that and neither do I. That's why Jesus said, come on, I'll make you fishers of men. Now, every time I go fishing, I don't know about you, but I get skunked quite a bit. It's about knowing exactly the bait, exactly where, and when. And see, if it was just up to me about being a fisherman, then a lot of times I'd be wrong, especially being out here, because I don't know everything about the lakes and stuff out here. In California, I'm a little better. Not here. But see, now, if I'm with somebody that knows how to fish these lakes and rivers, now i got a guide. Now i got somebody that says, no, this is the kind of bait you want to use. This is when you want to use it. This is where you want to use it. This is what we're going to catch. You and I have the Holy Spirit. He'll do the same. It's just about us being available. You will, walking around with our rod and reel. Anytime, Lord. But you're going to have to really help me because I can't do this. But the other thing is, is to learn Scripture. Learn passages. Learn it so that you can share. It's Like I said, it's pretty simple. We're all sinners. Romans 3.23 And we're all in judgment to die. Romans 6.23 But there is the gift of God. Same passage. Jesus Christ died for our sins. And that He rose again from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 and 4. That if you believe these things, and you confess with your mouth, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, as any man should boast. It's knowing the passages. About being ready. See, so many of us are, if you will, like the four lepers. Oh, you probably read about them. It's in Second Kings chapter 7. And see, what happened was Samaria, that's the northern kingdom, they were having a famine. 
And food was scarce. But that's not the worst of it. The worst of it was the Syrian army was laying siege against them. And so the people inside the city were starving to death. So bad that a donkey's head was selling for 80 shekels of silver. Dove's dung is a few shekels. That's like six months worth of wages. Now you understand the 80 shekels. Only the rich could buy that. And it was still nothing. In fact, it got so gross that they were actually doing cannibalistic things. Finally, the king was so upset. Just like all of us, what do you do when nothing's going right? You blame God. And that's what he did through Elisha. This is all Elisha's fault. The prophet. God do so to me if I don't kill him. So he sends his messenger ahead of him. Now, Elisha's got an advantage. Why? Because he's got God in his ear. And he tells Elijah, Elisha exactly what's going to happen. So he tells the guys that he's with, he goes, now this messenger's going to come in here. I want you to pin him against the wall because his master is right behind him. So sure enough, here comes the messenger. Get him against the wall. Then in comes the king with his right-hand man. Elisha looks at the king and says, by tomorrow you'll have so much food you won't know what to do with it. His right-hand man says, <laughs> what? If God opened the windows of heaven, how could this be? You'll see it, but you won't partake of it. Well, now let's go to the four lepers. See, they're outside the gate. Why? Because they're leprous. They're not going to let them in. They're unclean. Now they're standing there starving to death. One looks at the other and goes, Hey, look, first of all, we're dying. Not just because we're starving, but because of leprosy. What do we got to lose? If we go in the city, they're starving. That's no better anyway. We stay out here, we're toast. We're dying. Let's go to the Syrian army. They probably got plenty of food. Maybe they'll throw a morsel at us. And if they kill us, are we better off? They all go, sure, that sounds like a great plan. So they go to the Assyrian, the Assyrian camp, and it was a tent ghost town. There was nobody there. And they're like, huh? So they go into a tent. They find gold. They find silver. They find food. They take the, the leg, start chomping on it. I don't know if it was a leg or not, but you get the visual now. They got the gold, they got the silver, they go hide it. And they start going tent to tent. They're thinking, what a score, till one of them says, wait a minute. He says this, listen. Then they said one to another, we are not doing right this day. This is a day of good news gospel. And we remain silent if we wait 
to morning light. Some punishment will come upon us. So then they go back. It's at night. And they yell up to the gatekeeper. The Syrians are gone. Wake up the king. So they wake up the king. And the king goes, it's a trap. They're just hiding in the field. We go out there, they kill us. We got five horses left. Think about that. We only have five horses left. Take a couple of them, hook up a chariot, go check it out. They go there, find it empty. Nobody there. No sign. Scripture says what happened was they heard the sound of chariots and horses coming. The Syrians thought that was the Hittites and the Egyptians, and they scattered. They ran. They ran so fast, they didn't take their horses or donkeys. They were so scared. So the next morning, they opened the gates and let the people go eat all they want. The first man in command, he was in charge of the gates. The gates were open and the people trampled them. And he died. The people, they were fed. Good news. Now, the only thing about the story that leaves us behind is the fact that no punishment comes upon you, but you lose and I lose what God desires to do in and through each of us. This is the good news I have it shouldn't be hoarded. It shouldn't be kept just to myself. It needs to be shared. Then the question always comes back to these things, to you and to me. Am I ashamed of the gospel? Am I ashamed of what Jesus Christ did? Because see, they still mock Him. They make fun of Him. Misguided, they say. A phony, they'll proclaim. A liar. Deceiver. We found him to be true. He's the one. He's the only one. So if we got the not ashamed, what about the power? Is that what we fear? Not that I'd be ashamed, but I don't think there's any power behind it because so many people just say, yeah, I don't want to hear that. So then I don't expect God to move because, see, really that's what it comes down to. It's not you or me. God can do anything to share the Word. In fact, in Revelation, He'll start using angels. So it's not about that. He chooses to use you and me because guess what? We have the good news. I've got good news. I'm saved. Oh, if you knew me, I'm a knucklehead. I shouldn't be saved any more than you should be. But it's the power that I can't deny that He's done it. He's doing it. 
oh, I'm not a perfect man, and neither are you. But he is a perfect God. Do I really expect him to move in and through me? Oh, wait a minute, though. Again, though, I'm not able to. If God can use a donkey to speak through, you don't think he can use you? How powerless do we think our God is? What you think, doesn't it? Makes you wonder. But see, I have found too that <laughs> the times that I have shared and God does a work, I can't take credit for it. But the times I don't share and found that I have to take credit for that. I didn't say anything. See, we all have missed opportunities. But I have found that God is so full of grace. Every day is a new day. Today is a new day today. How will we live this day? With expectation of what this wonderful God wants to do, because hear me very carefully, because I will give you God's desire of all the things that are going on in this world. That all, all, whole world would be saved. That's God's desire. Even with his understanding that all will not be saved, that's still his heart's desire that all would be saved. And he chooses to use you and me. Because we understand what it means to be in darkness and now the light. We understand what it means to be a sinner and a castaway. To be forgiven and in the family. We understand what it means to be unloved. Now I'm loved. A love that I can't pass up. A love that I can't get away from. A love that is so deep. It's so rich. It's so... I can't fathom it. And it's not based on me. Except of believing the one we're going to be really focusing on in a few weeks, what he did on the cross and in the grave. I got good news. What about you? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word today. And we ask, first of all, for your forgiveness of the failures of the times that we have not spoken of. But Lord, now we come with new new fervor and new eagerness. Lord, to share the truth that we do know to be true. The good news, good news, good news. Your love for us displayed on a cross expounded by an empty tomb. Lord, let us look at this differently. 
that we can be instruments in your hand, lights in this dark world, truth and all the lies, because we know him who is the truth. Lord, we confess that we are weak. We confess, Lord, that we're not very bold. We confess, Lord, that we're fearful at times. Even though you tell us that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The enemy trips us up, Lord, fools us by dwelling on our sins and our failures. So we don't open our mouth. Or our struggles. Thinking, well, it's not working. How can I tell people about a God who loves them when I don't feel the love? But again, we go back to the truth of who you are and what you've done and what you continue to do and declare it to the ends of the earth that our God is a God of love. Of God of peace and of grace and of mercy, kindness and goodness. And then we stand and we say, Lord, but I don't want to be rejected. And you speak to us and you say, but I was rejected. And they're one, the ones that they reject you, they're really rejecting me. Just as Paul, when he was persecuting the church, he was persecuting me. That you will do these things in and through your vessels that so submit to you. I pray, Lord, for awakening in each of us. I pray for revival throughout this land. I pray that it would start here, right here in this room. But Lord, again, it comes down to us. Are we willing to accept such a responsibility? Because that would truly mean we have to share it. The truth of the matter is, is revival is happening all over the place. In this dark world, they need to hear about Jesus. I pray right now, Lord, that you would empower each of us to speak boldly your truth, even if our voices shudder. To speak it clearly, even if we seem foggy. To continue to speak the truth in this world that's full of lies. That each one of us would be Little Paul's, no, little Christ's, to be truly Christian. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 